Hey, Sherry, are you ready? I'm ready. Hey, Sherry, how you doing? Good, Paul. How are you? I'm doing great. You hear that sound? You know what that is? I do hear that sound, and I think it's the sound of season seven. You are correct. That is the sound of season seven of This Most Unbelievable Life, the podcast. Woohoo! We've made it seven seasons with our excellent listeners at our side. And we appreciate all the support we get, and we're looking forward to another great season of podcast content. Yes, indeed. Let's get on with the show. On with the show, folks. Thanks for listening. Got it out with tweezers yourself. Well, it wasn't big. I mean, it was like a piece of plate glass or something. Just a little kind of... I feel like we're collecting a series of, and then Paul didn't yeah. go to the doctor Yeah, stories. Yeah, and I didn't go to the doctor for that one either. Yeah. Those were different times. Those were younger days when my injuries would heal, right? That's yeah. the thing about getting older, right? Is that um, you feel fine and you can do all the stuff, you know? Um, you're a little slower when you do stuff, but that's, it just takes a long, longer to recover. Yeah. This takes longer to recover. Yeah, I I was <laughs> I guess I was kind of surprised that I ended up going to the doctor to actually get like legit stitches for that particular cut. Yeah. Um because I feel like I grew up in a household of like DIY medical treatment when it comes to when my father is around. Right. Um so my dad I don't know, like I mean this is a guy who sawed off a cast on, for, that was on his ankle because he broke his ankle. Mm. And he decided he was done with it, so he sawed it, it off. off. Yeah. Um, the cast, not the ankle, to be clear. <laughs> to be well, clear. that's one way to solve the problem, right? Yeah. This ankle's... But he had also, at one point, um, I don't remember exactly what happened. My brother would remember, so would Dad. But he somehow, there was something involving moving uh, the boat. Uh, we used to have a sailboat. And he oh, somehow cool. Cool. dislocated his shoulder um, and definitely put it back himself. Yeah, I've never done that. Yeah, I don't recommend it. Yeah, it got kind of, it got a little gnarly afterwards for a while. Yeah, I have a friend of mine. She's a veterinarian in uh, southeast Missouri. And uh, it she she has performed minor surgery on herself. <laughs> Because you're like, well, I figure it's no different than what I do to a cat or a dog every day. You know, I can take care of this. And it's like, yeah, she has medical training, just not human. Yeah. She's not human. Um, Well, I would say that the difference between her and the cat or dog is the anesthesia that they are under. Lack thereof in her case. Yeah. uh, She's a trip, but it's like, Hmm. my God, she's tough as nails. Yeah. Well, this has been Medical Stories with Paul and Sherry. I have to put a... Spo- uh, not a spoiler. What's it? A trigger, trigger warning on this one? Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a little blood. I guess it is fall, so it's appropriate that we have a little blood and gore. The things that befall us. You yeah, know, almost quite not quite Halloween, but we're getting in the season for yeah. it. Yeah, but I feel like you broke us out of our typical uh, podcast opening. Uh-huh. There's no greetings. We just cut straight to yeah. Get right to it. Get right <laughs> to it. It was a joke. Because yeah, you started cut, with cutting yeah, yeah. and we cut straight to it. Straight to See, it. I'm hilarious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
My only hospital stay as an actual adult was when I was working at the St. Louis Zoo when I was an adult barely by, you know, a couple of months. I thought you were... I was 18, you know, and uh, somebody bet me a quarter I wouldn't eat a, a piece of Purina um, monkey chow like that. Oh. Yeah. So um, it's like a, almost like a Belvita. Wait, so they bet you how much? It's a quarter. I know. I, I got a raw deal out of this. I mean... It did. It didn't taste bad, but I should have asked for more than a quarter. Yeah. Because I figured what's in it. It's like got like gorilla hormones in this thing. Um, Forty. Not not two. Not a day and a half later, my appendix is on the cutting room floor. Are these correlated? I mean, I ate monkey chow one time, and I have had, I've had one appendectomy, and they happened <laughs> in the in the suggestive order mm. within thirty six hours of each other. <laughs> So I don't know. I have suspicions. Um, I mean, correlation is not cause and effect. I get that, you know, but it's like I've only, you know, I'm 50 and these things have both happened once in my life. Yeah, the appendix thing, you only have one. I get it. But uh, I don't know. It seems it seems curious. I just wonder how many other people uh, who have had appendectomies have also... What did you eat? A monkey? Yeah, it's Purina monkey chow, right? Or at least monkey to be back chow? thirty years ago, it's it's like a it's like a grainy biscuit. It's not sweet. Uh, it's got a, a nice graininess to it. Hmm. It's got a nice graininess to it. Um, so what like I'm a breakfast hearing biscuit. is that for perhaps six dollars, you would eat another one. Well, I don't have an appendix anymore. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> You didn't have any other symptoms. The risk? No, I didn't. But then again, if you ever had a, a appendicitis, you ever have appendicitis? No, that's a tough one. I mean, it's like it doesn't feel good. And my mom was just like, "Oh, we'll just wait and see how it is in the morning." And I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Mom, I think we're gonna go to the hospital. How old were you? Eighteen. Hmm. Seventeen, eighteen. And that's why we 18. don't eat monkey food. Well, like I said, I mean, it might be fine now. <laughs> you know, it might be fine now. We'll see. That's what we'll I'm going to get you for Christmas. I, mean, I don't even know if they still... I mean, they might have reformulated it. Hmm. I mean, that was 30 years ago. They may not even make it. It costs more in the package. It's smaller. Yeah, that's how it goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was It was good. Hmm. Yeah, used to give it to the to the larger primates. You know, because well, they, they was like a... Yeah, and that's what I said. It should be fine, you know. You're just another larger yeah, primate without a tail. I know. It's like it should be fine. I don't know what I don't know what went wrong. Oh, we do this though, don't we? We 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 do uh, share and compare our stories quite a lot, though, don't we? Yeah, I don't have a story to share as point of comparison. Like, what's the dumbest thing you ever eat that had bad consequences? Well, so I could share on that subject, but it is a controversial story. Because it is not remembered the same by all members of my Ooh. family. Uh-huh. This would be good for a murder mystery class. Uh-huh. Although I suspect nobody was murdered. No, not yet. Uh. Dun, dun, dun. Or were no, they? So I guess I was about 10 years old or so. We had just moved to this new house. We had like a bunch of lumber in the backyard. And there was like this piece of wet like lumber that kind of had a similar consistency to chicken. And my brother. lump. Yeah, it was like, so like, it was like cut firewood, right? But there was just like a piece. 
my Listener, question is more Paul about. Paul is giving me a curious look. The look is more about not not about the wood so much as the comparison to chicken. Yeah, like I don't know, like if I'm fine you... with the lumber. <laughs> I understand lumber, ma'am. Um, but I've never heard it compared to a chicken. Yeah, no, it was just like a like a small <laughs> chunk of wood, right? Like so, you take a light colored chunk of wood, right? Yeah, and yeah, you. Yeah. Uh, moisten it you you let it sit in water for for a period of time and it softens up a little bit right okay 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 and so obviously it was still wood it didn't really look like chicken all that much we're looking at like some dry breast meat chicken right okay like that's what we're kind of comparing conference chicken conference chicken there you I call go it conference chicken conference yeah, it's chicken. the chicken we eat in conferences Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so i don't really understand how the story came to being, except my brother and I looked at a piece of wood and had a, the same joke about the fact that it, oh, it looked like chicken. Hmm. But he started telling the neighbors, and I think still tells people today, um, that he told me it was chicken and I ate it. That did not happen. And you don't, uh, yeah. It's not- Is that story embellished? I don't know. Do like, think, or is he, is he genuinely misremembering or... That is a good question for the fine in, Robert Lemire. Yeah, is he embellishing or misremembering? Yeah, I or? mean, it very well may be how he remembers it. Um, and I mean, who doesn't love to tell a story in which their younger sibling looks ridiculous? Um, or older sibling, right? But um, I just, I remember us having a conversation about it looking like chicken. But never did he ask me to consume it and never... Did so I, yeah, so the fact that it looked like chicken is not the controversial part of the story. Correct. It's the, yeah, right. It's it's did she or did she not ever get dared to eat it and or and did eat she eat it? She did not. She did not, huh? Yeah, that's all the things you've eaten. That was not one of them. That is true story. That was not one of them. Yeah. Interesting. Um. Yeah. So, but I don't think I have an interesting story about things like gross, weird things that I've eaten. Nope. I've never you know, eating my cat's food. We had a map in the geology department at UC Davis that it was like it was in some cabinet and uh, it was kind of, it was almost ready to fall apart. I mean, it was like this old rolled up paper map. And I don't know what somebody had gotten on this thing, but it smelled awful. And it's like, it didn't, it's like, I don't even know what it actually smelled like, but it clearly must have been some like mold, bacteria, somebody's lunch from like 30 years. It's like, I have no idea what was actually on this thing, <laughs> but it was just foul. And so, I mean, who suspects a map though? So we would like go around the building. It's like, Hey, smell this map, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and people were like, Oh man, you know, and they'd get all bent. Cause it's like, we made them smell something absolutely disgusting. And they're like, what the hell is that? And we're like, I have no idea, but I have no idea. Anytime somebody says, Hey, smell this. <laughs> Like, don't we know that's not? No one would suspect the map, though. You know, I mean, it's. But mm, who would suspect mm, a, a map? I, would... Unless you're holding like flowers, candles, or something that's obviously going to be like. Let the record show that if you walk up with a musty old piece of paper and say yeah, smell, smell this, this, I'm going to be like, no, thank you, sir. Yeah, some people took a deeper inhale than others, and it was it was interesting to watch. It was like some people really wanted to like. Really took a deep smell of it. Like, well, oh, because man. maybe they're expecting old book smell. 
Which is a Maybe. delightful yeah, yeah, yeah. smell. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is a delightful smell, but it's mm-hmm. like that was not <laughs> that was not what this this smelled like. No so many stories. So many stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I'm trying to think of whether we had anything old musty that we made each other smell <laughs> at Virginia Tech. I don't think so. Um and it's not that we were just newfangled. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, but like that's that's the thing we're doing here, right? Like the oh, you share a thing. What do I have to offer in comparison? Yeah. Why do you think we do that as people? I that's an interesting question. Um, that's an interesting Thank question. You. Yeah, which is a good reason to talk of it. And um, I see when that happens that it's catching. Um, mm-hmm. it, it it had that that sort of conversation has a tendency to engross people like outsiders mm-hmm. can join in a conversation and tell their own tales of mischief, woe, or whatever it might be. And um, I've seen this in faculty meetings before. I've seen this in classes before. I've seen this with people on the street. I've seen this at parties happen before. Um, where once a story goes out there, other people start throwing in, mm-hmm. you know, in in a related <laughs> way. And you know, my first pass is um, it's some it's it's a unifying event. You were talking about relatability. Mm-hmm. You know, I relate to this story. And what of what of what what need does relating to someone else address? So what's what's the compulsion to relate to people? And mm. you know, I'm asking that question not because uh, I think I know what you're going to say. I do not. I'm not sure what that is. You know, it's like why. Why Why does it feel so good to relate to somebody and how is this the way in which we do it? Well, I mean, I think it's sort of, I think it it's a story that lasts as long as story, right? Like this idea of relating to one another. Well, so first of all, this idea of like, like as you start talking about like different people telling a story and each person wants to throw in, this sounds right. like, you know, it sounds like, pub tales at the end oh, yeah, of totally. adventures, right? But like it, it also has this like preliterate quality to it. Like this is what this is what people would do, right? Like gather around campfires, mm-hmm. get, you know, and share not only their own stories of the day, but the stories of the days before, right? Like it's mm-hmm. like this is the function of the bard, right? It's right. to tell the right, story. Right, right, right. Um and so I think part of what it accomplishes is the sense of community building. Like these are the stories of our people. These are, and then if you have a story that you can contribute to the community, then that shows that you're an insider. You're part of mm-hmm. the, the, the family because mm-hmm. you have like, so I think that's literally like the idea of re- relating to one another and being related to each other, right? Like, yeah. Relating has yeah, a way yeah, of yeah. making you feel like you're part of the yeah. tribe. Um, there's explanatory power in it. It's like if, what is the, it's like, what is the history of this thing? Um, what is it that, um, what are the experiences I've had mm-hmm. that may benefit you? So there might be an oral history mm-hmm. component to it that could be very, I mean, it could actually be educational, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm not, well, both both today, don't eat monkey chow or open cans with your fingers or eat what the eat looks like chicken 
not that that happened, right? Might have turned out okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't it might have been all right. Uh, it might have tasted better than the chicken, um, or or anything like that. Um, but that, that's an interesting perspective that it it sort of does represent pre-literate arcane knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I mean, what makes the Freemasons so special is like they know things that we don't, and you know, we don't know what it is that they know. So we sort of make up tales of conspiracy and uh, all kinds mm-hmm. of all kinds of stuff, you know. Um, yeah, I mean the, the I mean this is the the this on the same line as the inside joke, mm-hmm. you know. It's like we are closer to each other for knowing this when where nobody else does than we would otherwise. So it's like we we share this common bond of this of this tale that others don't have, and there's a specialness to it, a uniqueness to it. Yeah. Because it's shared between us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, yeah, it draws people closer together. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think a lot of times the idea of telling a comparable story may connect into that impulse, but it's not always positive. Right. Like the, yeah. the idea of the inside joke, the idea of like sitting around like, you know, the bonfire trying to tell stories that bring the community together. Those are all positive, but not all of these stories feel positive. There's a dark side. Yeah. So how do you see that dark side? Well, I've been on both sides of that dark side, Mm. you know, um, both sides of the dark side. That's fine. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll go with it. I'll go with it. Mm -hmm. With that, I mean, it all represents dark side, but one was on the, the yeah, yeah. Yeah. One, one side of it was the side of the, information is being kept from me and the other one is being on the side of we're trying to keep information for from someone else to make us feel special these are the earlier days Mm. that's right it's like i've outgrown this high school mumbo jumbo god i hope i have anyway um but uh i mean we i think i think many people know what it feels like to be excluded from a group who knows things that you don't they won't tell you what it is you know it's like you know, being caught on the losing end of a game of keep away. And it feels gross and it feels yucky. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, these people are assholes, but you really want to know what they know because it means something. It's, it's just the whole thing just feels gross, you know? And it's, it's, it's like they're willfully trying to exclude you because like for the sole purpose of being hurtful. Right. It, it seems, you know, and Part of the part of the uniqueness of the whole thing is not just that they know something that you, they know something special. It's like that it was something, and specifically you don't know that. So ha ha, you know. Uh, and it's 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 yucky. Right. Well, it's like that. It's that. It's the dark side of the inside joke. The, yeah. Right. Well, I guess you had to be there. Yeah. But you weren't. But you weren't. So wah wah. Yeah, and so it it does the opposite of what you know, the, the tales around the campfire are meant to be right? it's like that pushes somebody outside of the ring. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've become pretty aware of when that's happening in a group environment right now, like a couple of people will start, you know, having a little public side conversation about stuff. We've all been here before too. Right. And it's like, literally the, there's only two people in this in, in group that actually know what the heck they're talking about. You know, um, and there are kind ways to invite people to share with the group of mm-hmm. this tale that includes everyone. Mm-hmm. How could we include everyone in this story? Because what an interesting story this is, sir or ma'am. 
you know, um, right. there, there are ways to do that. But, you know, I've had to, I have had to call that out sometimes before. Yeah. Just out of, because I know what it feels like to be on the other side of that. You know, it, it feels, it doesn't feel good. Well, I mean, I think it's interesting because you're, yeah, absolutely. It doesn't feel good. But I think the flip side of that, of being caught within a, a moment of something that's just special between only two people, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, like sometimes I think there's like a beauty to that if you can, like, you know, that you mm-hmm. lose if you try to share it with everyone else. So, like, what's the line between being inclusive and understanding that sometimes there are experiences that are special? Yeah, not everybody can know every story about every mm-hmm. person, right? And they, it's an impossibility for it to, for it to be. Um, yet, you know, if you're, if you're in a group environment or a group setting and you're talking to somebody about uh an inside joke and kind of thing it's like is this what's the objective here you know is it yeah. to, is it to publicly publicly demonstrate that you two are closer to each other than the rest of our assault you know and so it, it sounds like it, it might be innocent enough from exactly what it is that the inside joke or whatever it is but the intention i think is doesn't yeah. have to be a public one yeah you know? i mean i yeah i think the intention the purpose like what's What's trying to be, what's the need being met? Yeah, what's the need being met? Yeah. Well, and I think that shows up with just in general, like the idea of like these comparative stories. I think part of the dark side of those stories is when comparison isn't just for relatability, but is for like one upmanship. Yeah, that's the other, that's the other part of it mm-hmm. for sure. And I think, um, I think sometimes I, I'm noticing when, I feel like I used to tell stories, uh, especially like, you know, if people are just trying to complain about things or talk uh-huh. about challenging times, like the idea of like, oh yeah, well, yeah, you know, because that's how that's always how it starts. Yeah, yeah. Well, when I was blah, you know, blah blah blah. Yeah, and so um, this idea of comparing for relatability can quickly shift into comparing for competition. Yeah, competition, ego, stoking. Yeah. And that's... Like there's going to be a winner in this conversation. Right. Like at the end of the day, the story with the worst <laughs> conclusion is the, going the, to be awarded. The story with the the story with the story most ditches wins, yeah, you know? exactly. Oh, yeah? Well, when I was, whatever, yeah. I did this. Oh, yeah? Yeah. But, I mean... And so that impulse isn't all that different from the inside joke. This idea to, this impulse to want to be set apart from the pack, to be like, to be the the hero, to be the grandest, to right. be the exception. Hold court, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know. This all has a very medieval feeling to me. It does. It really does. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it really does. So yeah, it's it's curious about those those shared stories and, and what they really do. And um, how did share stories kindly? Because mm. I mean, I think what we've talked through so far is like a lot of times when sh- stories have been shared unkindly, you know. And that's I mean, what I'm describing here is like 
elementary school and middle school and most of high school is the unkind, yeah. unkind sharing of stories, or at least where, where I was when I was. You know, I mean, our place that we, you know, where I went to school was rife with this. And it was all just a, a comparing contest of not athleticism or anything or academics. It was all just, you know, storytelling. Mm-hmm you know, and exclusion and, and storytelling. And it was, it was rough. It was rough. You know, when you were good at it or you had thought it was stupid and you didn't want to play, you were either in the in-group or you were in the out-group. I mean, again, I'm describing every high school everywhere, I think, <laughs> with this. So nothing special about mine, which why I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm able to happily share it because it's like I'm not, descri- there's not a high school out there that I'm not describing with this conversation, I think. Um, right. Because that's what we do. You know, it's like we, we try to relate to each other through story, because that's who we are as a species. I think you're absolutely right. This started, I, who do I blame for all of this? Our ancestors about 500,000 years ago, back at the time, and uh, I don't know if it was called a campfire or not, or so much as it was just like a the fire, fire, right? The fire that we called home. Um, and, you know, what I think we learn what those stories do to us later on. I mean, this is a conversation that nobody ever had with me. Hmm. You know, and I'm 50. I bring that up every time, don't I? It's like, yeah. It's well, an important I'm story to you. Yeah, it's becoming one um, for sure. But I mean, nobody ever had this conversation. And so we're sort of left to our own devices to sort of figure out um, what stories do to us. Mm-hmm. And do they make you feel good? Do they make us feel bad? Do they make us feel included? Or do we feel excluded by them? And what is the intention behind the story? And are they trying to get us to do something or feel a particular way that isn't good? Or are they trying to get us to feel a way that is good mm-hmm. and inclusive? And we're, it, my God, I mean, the more that I talk about it, the more I think it's a miracle that we survived this long, <laughs> you know, because it's like, that seems like that would be a good conversation to have. It's like, what do you do with the stories you're told? And what is the intention behind them? Because if I would have known that they were just, that, the, that it was all just smoke and mirrors, and that, you know, they were just trying to find a way to make you feel bad and exclude you. Then I would have said, you don't need to do that. I'll exclude myself on my own. You know, I don't right. need a reason if that's who you really are. And everything would have been a lot easier. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's like such an interesting, especially as you think about people who are just trying to orient themselves within like the high school landscape, right? Like, so, so much of the high school landscape is. Who's like me and who's different? Right. Right. Um, Who fits where in the tribe in the. Yeah. Um, As you try to like start separating yourself out of like your family of origin. Like what does it look like? Yeah. Um, Right. And I think if we all understood that all that storytelling is about meeting some kind of need. I think I wonder if we would better be able to navigate the storytelling. If we yeah. understand it as being that, like stories are about needs. How do you, how do you read the stories you're hearing? How do you read the stories you're telling? Yeah. In light of that. Yeah. It's like there's a, there's a purpose either conscious or unconscious. I mean, those are kind of gross ways to put it, but a, a conscious or an unconscious purpose behind everything that we say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and we, I mean, in rhetoric, we talk about this as the exigence, like the motive for for uttering something. Um, And I've been spending a lot of time thinking about lately how rhetoricians 
we begin analyzing speech acts at the need that we're trying to meet. But I don't think we're always cognizant of the need, at least not the real social function that the need is tapping into. So like, you know, I keep thinking of all these high school movies where people are gathered around listening to some, you know, some athlete tell some story about like, you know, the, the great touchdown or something like, especially if it's right after the game, like we all were there, we saw it. So Mm -hmm. what's the need um, that's being met by retelling that story? Well, is it the need to relive that high because the moment's gone and there's a fear that that, you know, the the high of that moment's going to die off unless I keep telling it? Like, do we tell stories to make ourselves feel the high of moments like, i don't know what is well, that it's, it's curious though but uh, you're i don't i think you're not wrong i mean i think that mink, the, the monkey chow story is one of the ones that i've told more than many other yeah in my in my life i, I mean you've heard that story before haven't you about the monkey did, you, did i tell you that one i don't know i know i'd heard i think i'd heard the can story before i don't think i'd heard monkey chow i, I think with that it's I, I when i think about it yeah you heard the can story i think with the monkey but both of these stories it's like the day started out innocently enough, <laughs> yeah. and then strange things happened. You know, I don't. I don't think I. I, I use that story or I, I tell that story to make myself particularly elevated or inflated or anything like that. It's just a ridiculous story of somebody made a bad decision for a quarter, mm-hmm. <laughs> and everything is fine. But I don't have an appendix anymore, you know. And now I can tell what uh, what the weather's going to do two days out. But what happens in my left, my right middle finger, um, which you know, it's I, I laugh about it more than anything because everything is fine, no harm, no foul. Right. Insurance paid for, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, we might have left out the part about me eating something that I probably shouldn't have two days later, but you know, it's all good. Um, so what's the need it, it, met it, by that story? It's, it's fun for it, it's a they're fun stories for me to tell. I get a gig a lot of them. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I it's a good counterpoint to a PhD. Uh huh. You know, it it I use it a lot of times in uh, in more wholesome, encouraging environments for my students. Uh huh. It's like, see, if you feel like you're an idiot now, that's okay. You might be. I was an idiot when I was your age too. Right. <laughs> Evidence, you know, exhibit A. So part exhibit of it, B, exhibit C, we could be here for the next five hours, you know, going through the exhibits of that trial. Yeah. So part know. of it is relatability. Like, yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. I'm part of this community just like you. I, too, have done dumb things. Yeah, I've just learned more from from the dumbness. Right. You know, I mean, having a Ph.D., you know, in my case, I think it's not that I'm particularly smart. I've just given myself so many opportunities to learn from so many so many mistakes and things and live to tell the tale, you know? So it's like, boy, you know, I have a PhD because I learned from my mistakes and you can too. Right. But, uh, I ought to be on the Nobel committee by now. Yeah. I don't like, I never think of my PhD as being a signal that I'm smart. (laughs) I always think of it as a signal that I'm persistent. Yeah. Um, Yeah. 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 And like at a certain point that I'm really good at whining because like, that that moment where you move from having worked on the dissertation for a while to being allowed to defend it, like that requires a certain amount of skillful whining. Yeah, some convincing, some skillful whining, some. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I don't know. I've been thinking a lot lately about like why, like what stories come to mind for me to tell other people 
Mm. and like what needs I'm meeting through doing it. And especially like um, when I'm like really excited about something, I can go through a period of mentionitis, right? Like where I will constantly mention and I will tell stories about, you know, viral mentionitis, viral <laughs> mentionitis. Yeah. Like whatever the thing is, like I'll, you know, tell a lot of stories about a particular person in my life or about a band called fish or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and I try to tell my, like, think through like, what is the point of telling this story? And is this story enjoyable for all parties? Mm. Right. And so they're, um, I think that a lot of times the story that I'm telling really is more for me than yeah, it is right. for the person I'm talking to. Yeah. Um, and I'm just looking for someone to be gracious enough to be the audience to the story that that I need to hear in a moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think what triggers it for me more than anything, the st- storytelling is, yeah, I find myself in a situation where I feel like it might be helpful to someone if I tell the story, you know, a kid's going through a tough time or something. And it's like, yeah, well, let me tell you this. Let me tell you the story about this thing. You know, that makes you sound so much more noble. than I know, but it's like at the end of the day, it's like, no, I'm Irish and I really do enjoy telling (laughs) telling stories. You know, we do have a podcast after all, don't we? You know, we've been doing it. What is this? The 83rd, you know, no. 83rd time, 84th time or something. 85? 85? Yeah, but the, so I think that's interesting though. That like, So in your mind, your stories are uh, they're meeting the needs of your audience. Well, I mean, they, they meet the needs of me okay. too. I mean, I can't. Yeah, I can't. Well, I can't just, be the only selfish it. asshole. On no, this no, call. no, no, no. You're not. Great. You're not the only selfish asshole. In this in this room at the time, even hmm. in this room. Um, you know how to solve your problems here. Um, it, some of them, it's, it's just a, a, amplify, you, it's okay. a, amplify humor. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, I mean, how many classes have I started with a, with a room full of silent students on a, on a eight o'clock in the morning? You wouldn't believe what happened to me on the way to the classroom today. You know, ooh, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I think the greatest, one of the greatest traits that a, a teaching professor can have is the ability to tell a good story. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like you want to be a good teacher, learn how to do basic stand-up, uh-huh. you know, and you'll be a hit. You'll be a hit, you know. Um, I don't consider that as a, a gimmick. I think that's part of the, the skills training. Yeah. I don't think everyone has it, though. You know, but skills it, I think it doesn't hurt. Yeah. Um, at the beginning of the semester, um, I think – I'd really forgotten how funny I was um, because so many times like I tell jokes to like an empty room because yeah. because I'm like recording for my students right. or my students are all muted. Um, and so when we were back in the classroom and all of a sudden I started telling like random just me things and like the room would laugh, I would be like, I am funny. Yeah. Um, and one of my students who had me all last year even commented like, oh, you're a lot more funny in person. Hmm. And I thought that was really interesting. But I do think it's because of storytelling. Yeah, a little body language, a little storytelling. Well, I tell longer stories Hmm. because I can tell that they're captivated. Not captivated. That's like, that's (laughs) overselling it. 
But yeah, you lock the door after they go in. I get it. Yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> um, clearly, I do. Um, but like, I think you can tell that they're engaged and online. If I can't tell that they're still following me, um, right. right? Like, I won't tell as many stories. But like, you know, I think about Rob Bell, who. Like a lot of the way he delivers content is through storytelling. Yeah, right. But one of the things he'll do is he'll pause and be like, "Are you with me?" Like that check-in, mm-hmm. so that he knows it's not just a story for him; it's for everyone else too. Um, and I feel like I don't do that online as much, so I don't tell as many stories. Yeah, I don't know if I do either. Um, I don't know if I do either. But I mean, that's why I think people in in, in presenting in groups, academic or not, appreciate. Uh, a couple of cameras on in zoom just so it's like so you know at least you have some data coming in about the level of engagement or yeah. follow alongness with with the people that you're in that group with yeah um but yeah sometimes man i don't know mm-hmm. it's hard yeah because otherwise you have to trust your own delivery but it, i mean it's still just such a weird impulse like um like because i started thinking like well why do i think i need to tell stories in my classes. Um, and I, when I started asking myself that question, it reminded me of my undergraduate psychology teacher mm. who always told stories. Um, and he like, I don't remember a lot of his stories, but he always like talked about the fact that if you told alarming stories, people were more likely to remember things. Um, so maybe I like to think that I tell stories remember what I tell them. Yeah, I think that might be true. Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't know if it's because it's, it's a story versus, versus just like telling facts. I mean, I really do think it goes back to, I mean, stories of the language of the human species. I mean, we, everything we do is a story, you know, um, the, when we think about stuff for good or for evil, for bad or for good, for benefit or for destruction, you know, just that voice inside your head. It's a storyteller, you know, it's, it's a commentator telling a story out of the information that comes in. And sometimes it's interesting and useful and haha funny. And sometimes it just, it's kind of, a, kind of awful, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I think it's important as much as I try it though, to make sure that when, when information does go from me to someone else, I try not to be, I sort of go with the Hippocratic Oath on this as much as I can. If nothing else, don't do any harm. In Theravadan Buddhism, you know, I think other forms of Buddhism as well, you know, this is part of the Eightfold Path, you know, the wise speech. You know, this is in the Metta Sutta as well. You know, mm-hmm. don't say or do anything that anyone would later reprove or or chastise you for. You know, pay attention to what comes out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. You know, and try not to do any damage with it. And if if you don't know whether it's good or not, maybe you think about whether it needs to be said at all. You know, but I mean, I think if 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 people paid a little more attention to what they said and what the intentions were behind what they said, it, I don't think people would say as much. Right. I mean, I think that that's. And now I have nothing to say, Paul. Now right. <laughs> I have nothing good to right. say. Podcast um, over. But I mean, like, there's this, you know, that old saying, like, my parents used to say it to me all the time, like, if you don't have anything nice to yeah, say, don't say anything at all. Um, but I do think I spend a lot of time right now wondering, like, 
what the purpose of language, like how do we use it in a way that's responsible? Yeah. Um, because I think we do a lot of damage with language. And I mean, this is part of why I'm studying nonviolent communication. Um, you know, like water cooler conversation that seems innocent enough. It helps, you know, us dig into the grooves of negativity that we mm-hmm. swim in and don't end up helping us. At all, right. 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 Or, you know, what starts as a, a cheery conversation about a dear loved one that, you know, people are concerned about somehow evolves into gossip when it's not serving anyone. Like, I think it's super easy for speech to start off in a place that feels productive and go somewhere gross. It does. It does often do that. And you know, we had talked about this before the water cooler situation. Mm-hmm. It's like all you're really trying to do is bond with somebody for and have a break, you know, and it's like reestablish community and camaraderie and you know, but even in those times there's it's not it's not a bad idea to pay attention to what the nature of those conversations are because yeah. Um, un, unguarded speech can can come back and, and be hurtful. Mm-hmm. So I have a question. Of course. How do we relate to other people in a way that is positive without using story, but still using language? This is like a riddle. I don't know if I understand the question. So, um, so how can you relate to people? Food? Okay. So talking about food? <laughs> no, I was just like cooking it. Here, sharing food. Here, this is what I... But you have to use language. The language of the kitchen. Right. The culinary whatever, right? Um, so, ki- like, if right now for the rest of this podcast, if we wanted to relate to each other. Okay. Stay connected. Continue to use language because it's the only way people are going to hear us on the podcast. That's true. But we're not going to tell stories. How can we stay relating to uh oh boy using words mm-hmm. share recipes yeah we could share recipes we could not share where the recipe came from though no we could just tell us you know what what oh uh what's for dinner tonight what's for dinner tonight? yeah yeah we mm-hmm. experimented with this before yeah what's for dinner tonight you can learn so much through that answer yeah, I actually, so, you know, the other day we were in the same office and we ended up doing some grounding exercises. We did, we did. Right, and those are not story-based either. They're not. Would you like to explain what we did? Uh, We found, what was it, mauve? Mauve, among other colors. Among other colors. Yeah. Why did we do that? Uh, We did that to get information from our physical environment around us to reestablish ourselves in the present moment experience that we were having. Yeah. So. Our, our thinking minds, when it tells stories, will try to take us there. It'll put, a, it'll put hooks in and drag us to where the story that, you're, that, that our minds, your minds, my mind is telling where it happens. It'll, it'll, it'll displace you from time and space and pull you to a location that may or may not have been a safe one to be in. You know, so it's like, but we're here. How do we establish the here-ness and the now-ness of the here and now that we're in? Knowing that we can still have those memories and have that narrative that our minds are telling us, but still knowing that we are here. 
right in this time in this place and we're not in danger we're not in a state of risk um and that a lot of the panicky sensations that come along with that and stress and anxiety and nervousness right can be present mm-hmm. without the inconvenience of a reality behind them so let's find let's find the mauve in the room let's find them so let's find the mauve Ooh, there's some. Ooh, there's ooh, I, that, that, that. I saw one now that I didn't see last time. Ooh, it's on your phone. Nice. It's kind of mauve, ain't it? Oh yeah, my phone does have some mauve. You're right. So, what's interesting? So now I'm thinking. Does now does real presence involve storytelling? No. I think that's really Not interesting. At all. Not at all. Because even with like the example of like what's for dinner, that's like future storytelling, right? Like it's. It's forecasting. Yeah. And what was for dinner last night? That's looking at... But, like, you can't tell stories about now. You have to experience Yeah. It. I mean, the thinking mind is a statistician who deals with big data. Yeah. That's what it does. I mean, with this shocking rate variability types of information that come in, all, all the time, all the time, you're smelling things, you're seeing things, you're hearing things, you're, there's temperature... There's movement there. I mean, there's, oh, I mean, so much information comes in. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of what the thinking mind is, is trying to do is trying to keep up, mm-hmm. you know, by making generalizations that explain as much as the data as possible um, at the time with, as best it can, with a, a an unhealthy mix of history, assumption, TV, <laughs> you know, <laughs> movies you may, may not have seen. Right, lots uh, of jingles. Some you heard stereotyping, when you were yeah, some stereotyping that may or may not be true. Yeah, all jumbled together, just trying to, as rapidly as it can, you know, spin a very complex series of threads of information into a, a single narrative that could be generally relied on uh, for future use if needed. The problem is, I mean, the simplifications that the thinking mind makes when telling those tales about who we are. And what's happening are so simple. Yeah. You know, you you never get the truth. All you get is this average. Right. You know, that a lot of time is not even applicable or appropriate to the current situation that you're in. Does that make sense? It's like it's the it's it's the a frantic and desperate attempt of of some someone trying to keep up with what's happening. Well, I think- by making general statements. Okay, now this is what's going on, and that's because you're a horrible person. Well, if you wouldn't have done that, this wouldn't have happened. So don't do it next time. It's like, shut up, shut up. Right. Shut well, up. I think it helps to think you know? of the mind as a little statistician that's up there, like with a bean counter, like trying to, who needs a final report yeah. on the day. Yeah. The only problem is it only counts the bad things you do. It doesn't count the good things. That... Right. Well, there are just so many How examples. How many stupid things did you do today? Click, 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 click. 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 Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. That's interesting. Um. Like, I'm just really struck by the fact that, like, even when I ask, like, okay, so how could we spend the rest of this podcast without storytelling? We immediately went into telling a story about sitting in my office finding mom. Yeah, right. Right? Like, it's because I think we're, we live in a in the moment and we're always constantly concerned about leaving the moment. Like, we spend mm-hmm. so much time trying to get out of the moment. Oh, yeah. And I mean, like, for example, like, as people are listening to this podcast, 
Like my guess is we are not the only thing in their moment. Yeah, no way. Right? No and way. and in some ways, like this podcast is being used to distract from the moment they're in. If we do it right. If we do it right. That's right. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, just listener. today though. I mean, I this this strategy though of storytelling. I mean, even in my biology classes, you know, it's uh how do we make bio 101 material relatable to the average person? It's like, remember those ch- those uh, Chilean coal miners, right? They got stuck in that mine shaft. You know what's happening with them? It's like they had, they had an oxygen problem. Yeah, but it was a CO2 problem too. Remember on Apollo 13 when they were going to the moon and they had the wrong, the, the CO2 kept going up. So they had a sweat. You know, that was a Tom Hanks movie, right? Um, swimmers used to do this thing where they would hyperventilate before they would go into a pool and it would blow all the CO2 out. They would uh, they would actually pass out because I'd run low on oxygen before they had the inclination to breathe. So don't do that. I mean, it's it's, it's, it's all, all stories. Story. It's yeah. all stories. You know, it's like oh yeah, that makes sense. It's like does it? Does it? Does it make sense because you understand the science behind it, or does it make sense because I just told you a story and you understood all the words and you were able to relate to the story, right? So that's the question, right? So, um, but I mean, this is becoming like this is like. We're going to take a quick turn towards existential in a moment, right? Yeah, like, right. Because, like, is all there is stories that, like, do we understand anything? I think some folks would say yes. Yeah. I think some some anthropologists, sociologists, psychologists might say yes yeah. to that. Right. Um, yeah, that's, it's interesting. Because, I mean, what is the one thing that distinctly, you know, makes humans specific? There's nothing else, no other, no other animal species on Earth that can make this the vocalization sounds that humans can make. There's a ton of things out there with binocular vision. There's a bunch of stuff out there with opposable thumbs. There's a lot of stuff out, you know, the list goes on and on. There's nothing else out there that can make the directed variety of vocal sounds than, than, than a human. I have a question. Do all primates have an appendix? Um, in, in some form or another. Hmm. Unless they ate some monkey chow. Well, so then I was wondering, like, is what's so unique about us not (laughs) not the fact that we could eat monkey chow and then need, like, the appendectomy, the appendectomy, but that we could correlate those and tell stories about it for thirty years? Yeah, I think so. I Mm -hmm. think so. I mean, um, corvid birds like crows and stuff—they're super smart. Ravens, they can solve problems. They can, or the the octopus can do it as well. But it's like storytelling is different. You know, it requires a specific set of tools that very few species have. Right. Very few species have. I'm, I'm not saying none except humans just because I'm being conservative. But it's like, I don't know of any other. Well, I mean, the thing species is. Species that tell stories. Or that could. It, it's, I mean, it's not that they can't recollect stories, right? Like, you know, they're. Like, my kittens are telling themselves a story. There's some sort of storytelling happening such that when I bring out the vacuum, they know to run, run, right? Like, there's something going on there. But the difference is that when I'm gone, they don't sit around and talk about, like, oh, the other day when she took the vacuum out. No, they're over it. Right? They're over it. They're not living in it until they see it again. Because they have the story, but they don't. They don't cling to the story in the way that we do. Right. But we, right, right, I mean, right. our stories serve us as both a source for pleasure and a source for pain. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, what 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 cats in the vacuum cleaner don't have. This is one of my favorite quotes of all time, movie quotes, just so you know. Here's a story that is about to come up right now, actually. Well, right now I'm running through my fav my Paul's favorite Paul, movie yeah, quote favorite index. Movie let's see if right. I let's see if it I is from it. Paul's favorite movie, right? Um, so is it from Raising Arizona? No. Oh no, that's my second favorite movie. Oh, okay. Uh and um what I think that the cat with the vacuum cleaner and running off, it's like it clearly knows that the vacuum cleaner is dangerous and it needs to, to, to run for the hills. Like, I don't think the cat is trying to understand why. Mm, right. You know, it's not trying to get it. Yeah. It's not trying to get it. The movie quote from Big Trouble in Little China, you know, the world isn't here for you to get it. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like I don't get it. It's like, it's not here for you to get. It's here for you to live. And it's like the cat, vacuum cleaner, shit, you know, and run for the hills. But it's like, it's not trying to figure it out. It's not right. psychoanalyzing itself why it doesn't like the vacuum cleaner. Yeah. It, it you know, it there's it doesn't construct a narrative around, you know, the history of cats and vacuum cleaners throughout, you know, as an attempt to try to explain or understand why they don't like the vacuum cleaner. Right. And, they, and, and the other thing they don't do is they don't tell a story like, well, she knows I'm afraid of the vacuum. Yeah. So she took the vacuum. But we do that, like... As humans. Shake out the vacuum cleaner out on purpose. On purpose. She knew I was having a bad day and she brought it out anyway just to torture me. Like I do with stories when it's like, let's not talk about this today. It's like, I know what we're going to talk about today. Right? Let's Um, talk about gift giving. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) (laughs) You did see the moment earlier when you you started talking about high school and I was giving you this idea. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. It's like changing the subject. Really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's interesting though. So yeah, the cat's not trying that to get it. That was an example of an inside joke. Yeah. <laughs> Our poor yeah, listeners. Yeah. Right, go on. Yeah, it's not trying to, the cat's no, not can't. trying to get it. They're not trying to get it. They're not trying to tell a story about it. And they it. do just fine. Yeah, but this is like the paradox of being human, right? Is that we can both torture ourselves with story and we can delight in story. So it's not like we're going to stop telling stories. Yeah, it's like it's that or nothing. Yeah. Like, you know, we're still going to keep trying to get it. Yeah, it's, it, you know, it, it has the same insidious nature as like food addiction. You know, mm. it's like you can't not eat. Yeah. I mean, if you're, you know, if you're addicted to alcohol, if you're al- alcoholic, you know, it's like you can stop drinking and you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you can live without booze. But it's like if you have food addiction, it's like it's not like you it, you have to reframe your relationship with it. It's not about, OK, I'm never going to tell a story again. No, you're not. That's all you got. Right. You know, it's like you can't. I don't think you can survive without telling stories. You know, what, what you you reserve the right to not attend to them, to not attach to them, to not, you know, let them be the final say in everything. But I think you're going to have them. Well, yeah. And I think the food analogy is a good one because, like, you can get to know which which foods you're consuming that are serving you well, right? Yeah, like, right. what stories are you going to keep in your life? And behaviors surrounding those foods. That- right? Yes. <laughs> Paul. Well, right? <laughs> yeah. And, well, and I think the other part of that, though, like thinking about the food example, is you can also be mindful of the stories that friends and love that other people in your life are offering. Yeah, right. right? Like right, just right, because right. you are offered the brownie doesn't mean you have to eat it. And I think that's where the water cooler conversation comes in. Like just because like those are the stories being offered by your friends doesn't mean yeah. you doesn't mean you can't recognize that they're not serving you the way you right. want to be served. Right, right, right. Hmm. 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 Yeah, a responsible relationship with stories. Yeah. 
in many different man i mean i'm seeing a flow chart here already it's complicated it's like if going into this is like everything is a story when are they because you you reserve the right to make decisions on when these stories come out who they're told to when they're told how they're told with what intention they're told Mm -hmm. in all of this and it's a it can be a a force for extraordinary good or a dangerous weapon that you can really hurt people with including yourself including yourself yourself. so it's building a healthy relationship around story Mm -hmm. knowing that it's here to stay yeah and that's what you got and that's who you are as a species what do you do with it Mm -hmm. an excellent question yeah but i'm afraid we're out of time so i won't be able to offer my (laughs) compact answer today well like i say my life will be my answer was that me or was that Gandhi? I have it's a feeling a you're not the first person yeah, that said think, it. I don't think I am. That reminds me of the story, though. <laughs> anyway. Cool, cool, cool. Cool. Well, thanks, Paul. Thank you, Sherry. Interesting. Interesting indeed. Interesting question. Awesome. Yeah. Um, if we come up with any answers to any of this, if nothing else, I think knowing that we tell stories as a basis of whatever is a good place to start. Yeah. Awareness is where everything starts, right? Yeah. We would love to know more about how other people manage their relationship to story. Yeah. yeah. How do how do how do each of us practice wise speech? Mm-hmm. Cool. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Sherry. Thanks, Paul. See everybody soon. What is this? This is October something. October something. Neat. Welcome mm-hmm. to fall. We're still there. Ooh. Halloween's upon us. Upon us. Halloween is upon us. I love the Halloween. Fall's the best. Fall is the best. See you mm-hmm. soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hey, folks. Did you like that one? I certainly hope you did. I know that we really enjoyed recording it. Um, as a... Uh, as we mentioned in the show notes for this episode, this whole uh, this whole episode, this topic started because uh, Sherry and I were having a conversation, and we started to tell these stories to each other about like these horrible injuries that we that we had. It almost seems like one of us was uh, trying to outdo the other one or run up the other one, um, just comparing stories. But these were like pretty grotesque, some pretty horrific, horrific stories of ways that we've injured ourselves over the over the years. Um, I know that not everybody's into that, so uh, I thought I would chop those off the beginning of this episode and put them put them back here at the end. So if you want to hear a couple of minutes of uh, Sherry and I telling stories about how we've hurt ourselves accidentally, uh, certainly stay tuned for that. And if you got everything that you want out of this and you're not necessarily finding that that's your jam or that you want to check out, then uh, we'll see you next time. We'll see you next week. So stay tuned for some horrible stories. Uh, with serious trigger warnings of uh, accidental (laughs) personal injury and uh, an ouchie. So uh, take care, folks. We'll see you guys soon. Because when I cut myself with the can, I had... We can cut this part out. You're just going to start mid-sentence? I like it. So the story goes, I cut myself in the finger. I cut myself in the finger. I cut my finger... (laughs) <laughs> opening a can of Cut my heart I think it pieces. was tomato it wasn't tomato sauce tomato I think it was like diced tomatoes or something like that or like tomato sauce and so my mom had this real old can opener and so we I put it on there and I twisted the cranky thing you know when it mm-hmm. went around the top and you know how that leaves a nice sharp 
jagged, serrated edge. It does. And uh, it got caught, so it's like it didn't come all the way off, and so it, like, it was attached by one little metal <laughs> lip. I know, you can see where this is going. I do, mm-hmm. And so uh, I thought, well, I'll just go ahead and twist that the rest of the way off of there. So I grabbed the top of the can, Mm-mm. right, between nope. my thumb and my finger, and I give a little twist. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I can always tell when the temperature is going to change by, uh, you know, whether or not the, the tip of my uh, index, my, my middle finger on my I don't know if it's right or left, it's on the right, because it's still a scar there. Is it? It's scarred? Yeah, yeah, I can oh. still see it. Little line going straight across the top. Oh, yeah, I can yeah, see yeah. it, yep. Uh, that, Listener, I could see it. That was one of those things where I... It's like I did it, and it's just like there was no thought, there was no expression, or anything like that. It was just, and it's like just set everything down, just ran it under the sink, and held it together, like literally. Um, I was like, "Wow, that hurts!" And I started to get woozy, so it's like I'm gonna pass out because um, it was deeper than he thought. So I went into a recliner chair and just laid there for about 20 minutes until I knew that I, and it was like all the while, I was like sitting, like holding my finger shut. Right, I probably should have gone to the doctor and gotten stitches. I really like this story. Never try to open a can by grasping the top cut off part between your thumb and your middle finger this... and twisting. That is not a way to, to do that. Yeah. Scars run across the top of my... Oof. Right there. Yeah, I guess the only... I'm going to share a related story okay. to cutting, okay. not to compare, we but probably to ought share. To cut. We, ought to, we probably ought to cut. <laughs> I don't know. We never cut anything except yeah. ourselves. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I rolled over on a pair of scissors once. Mm. And so I have on my thigh about an inch long scar mm. that did require five stitches. Oh, wow. I've never gotten stitches for an injury. Yeah. For like minor surgical procedures I have, but never for injury. Yep. That's the only time I have. I've had them for major medical procedures as well yeah. um on my feet um but mm-hmm. i had 20 stitches on each foot wow mm-hmm. well, well, well. uh but yeah so the right leg i have a one inch scar i have a small scar divot uh on my left calf mm. uh i had dropped something Glass and it broke on the floor, it was like a mug or a cup or like glass or something like that. Oh, yeah. And it's like cleaned it up and everything is fine, whatever. Oh, shoot. You know, whatever. Um, and uh, walking around, walking around, and I stepped on something and it was, and it was stuck to my foot. And it's like, what is that? What's on my foot? You know, because I feel like I was stepping on, I stepped on something and it was like, maybe it was a kernel of popcorn or something. Mm. What did I step on? And so I, I get off my foot and so I picked my foot up and just like tried to brush it off with my. The calf of my other leg and thump went right in. Oof. 